Chapter 6 Naaman the Syrian by John McNeil Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes, and said, Am I God, to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down, and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Second Kings 5, verses 1 through 14. Leprosy, a type of sin. Leprosy is a type of sin. How much teaching there is in the type, you and I hardly know. When I preached once on the cleansing of one of the New Testament lepers, I said that I thought the sight of a leper would greatly tend to awaken and give practical meaning in our minds to all Bible teaching about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. I have since seen a returned missionary who described to me what leprosy really is and the awful effect that the first acquaintance with it has upon one's eyes and heart and understanding. The majority of people have not seen it, 
But let us understand that leprosy is one of the Bible's representatives of the intense malignity and defilement of the mortal disease that has attacked you and me. Sin Naaman, then, was a typical man, a man afflicted and covered with this typical disease, and we have to follow the turnings and windings of the narrative in order to see how this typical sinner makes out when he comes into contact with the Lord God Almighty, the only God of grace and salvation for a leprous sinner. The Depth of Our Need Notice how the Bible puts this doctrine of the depth of our need as represented in the disease of leprosy. Many people stumble at it. The vision of a leper is a sermon to everyone who sees him as to what sin is in its insidious but mortal and, except for one cure, incurable ravages upon the inner man, the soul within us. I am stating the doctrine roughly and harshly. I may so put it in a way that you might think is a somewhat unbalanced way, do not blame the Bible. The Bible is wonderfully considerate. As it states the case of Naaman, so it is willing to state the case of everyone. It states it, but see how softly it does so. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, it admits that he was a captain, was a great man. The Bible admits that he was great and honorable. The Bible admits that because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was quite a special man. He was also a mighty man in valor, a good general, perhaps the only general. The Bible admits these things. However, after making these admissions and taking in everything by the way, it does say, and it dares to say, and it insists upon saying, but he was a leper. Just as it is put there, so I would like to put it here. You are friendly. I admit that you are friendly. You are not a drunkard or a harlot or a degenerate. I am willing to admit that. However, at the bottom, the last analysis of all that you are yields this. You are a sinner. You are a leper. That is the last analysis. Taken into God's scales, Tested in his crucibles, weighed in his balances, here is the analysis. But he was a leper. Friendly, but a friendly sinner. Refined, but a refined sinner. Wealthy, but a wealthy sinner. You may be a nobleman of the land, but you are a sinner in regard to your spiritual condition. The Bible makes all allowances. It is not rude. It takes everything into consideration, but it will not speak false words. It will not say peace when there is no peace. Jeremiah 6, verse 14, 8, verse 11. It will not give you a clean bill and allow you to come into port when you should be riding quarantine because there is infectious disease on board. The Bible will be honest with you. While it makes all admissions on certain grounds as to what differentiates you from other people who are dishonorable and dishonest and have broken vows outwardly, it goes straight into the conscience and says, After all, you are a sinner. You are afflicted with an incurable disease that has no remedy except one, the knowledge and experience of which come not from earth, but straight and miraculously from heaven.
The Means of Grace Scripture And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. 1 Kings 5 verse 2 Now does it not look as if this were a roundabout road to the well? After all this about Naaman, and who he was, and what was wrong with him, we are off to the Syrians. What about them? And what about this little maid who waited on Naaman's wife? Out of little events come great events. Large doors turn upon small hinges. Such a thing as this wonderful story of God's gracious dealing with poor Naaman turns upon that seemingly trivial incident that a marauding, thieving band of Syrians took away captive this little maid when they crossed the borders and went into Israel. They built it better than they knew. I can imagine that the band of Syrians came back, and all their plunder was a little maid. Oh, how their companions laughed at them! It seemed to have been a poor excursion, a great deal of toil and trouble and effort for very little, when they came back with only this little girl. Who hath despised the day of small things? Zechariah 4, verse 10. No wise man has done so. Fools do it every day. Do not despise little folk. Do not despise small things. Do not despise the day of little things. What a great work this little maid did. She has found for herself a prominent place in the picture gallery of God's word. She will be exhibited to all eternity. Were there not kings and queens and mighty men who shined and blazed and paraded for a little while and then went down to a dusty death? Their names and their memorials have perished with them. But that little girl, a stranger in a strange land, away there in Syria, lives forever in the imperishable record of the Word of God. Scripture She waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. 2 Kings 5 verses 2 through 4. What a simple testimony she bore, but what a splendid preacher she was. She had all the qualifications of a first-rate, successful preacher. She had a message and she spoke it simply, directly, and with great assurance. She spoke what she knew. There was a ring of sincerity and conviction in what she said, and it affected her mistress. May God grant that my words may affect somebody now. The Simple Gospel Now the same thing is still working in and through the gospel. On the surface it seems to be a weak, foolish, despised and despicable thing. The word of a simple girl against all the misery and damaging power of leprosy. But God has chosen the weak things, the lowly things, things that are despised to do His work, to bring to nothing things that are, to save souls, to give to Him eternal fame and honor. Do we know this gospel? Do we know the prophet who is in Israel, no longer Elisha, but the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the prophet of prophets, the king and lord and head of them all, the incarnation and embodiment of all healing power and spiritual virtue. Then, if we know him, let us not only know him in our hearts, but let us simply and sincerely testify for him, and he will spread our testimony on the wings of the wind and make it tell as he did with this little girl. One went in and told his lord, 2 Kings 5 verse 4. The king of Syria wrote to the king of Israel, Crowns sometimes fall upon very unworthy heads. Both of these kings seem to be very sorry figures, do they not? The king of Syria was going to do it all, and he said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Second Kings 5 verse 5 How this poor girl's little simple gospel is being spoiled. Did she say a single word about kings, about talents of silver, or about changes of raiment? Then see how they have corrupted the simplicity of her simple testimony. What did they make of it? He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes, and said, Am I God, to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Second Kings 5 verses 6 through 7 There are some things that kings and councils and parliaments cannot do. This is one of them. They are completely at their wit's end, and God will not give this glory except in one way, and this blessing except along a particular line. One thing does come out of it clearly, and that is the emphasizing of the point with which I began. Leprosy, evidently, was regarded as incurable. Scripture Am I God, to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Second Kings 5 verse 7 Oh, that we had the same understanding today about sin! Oh, that men and women were revived to a simple and intense conviction that sin is incurable, and that there is no remedy except the heavenly, the supernatural. Where is the wise man's wisdom? Where is all the power of kings and lords and princes and councils to save a sinner? It is reduced to utter contempt. THE POWER OF GOD And it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Second Kings 5 verse 8 Does not that look a little like boasting at first? Let him come to me. Yes. It is boasting, but it is boasting in the right way. When a man boasts in God, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Psalm 34, verse 2. The meek hear of a testimony like this, 
and instead of being offended at it and calling it vainglory, they glory in it. For Elisha is not lifting up himself here, but is lifting up the God who gave him all the power that he had. Let us challenge the world's need and the world's problem. Let us call upon men and women to come and look our way and give us a test. You ran here and there and everywhere to get rid of your leprosy. Do you now have peace in your soul and power and strength? Then if not, will you finally come to us? In myself I am poor and weak and vile and nothing. But I dare to say that I preach a gospel that could change every sinner as mightily as Naaman was changed after Elisha had finished with him. Oh, that God would revive preachers in a simple faith in the message they have to deliver. After all, things are very sad now. There is dreadful trouble in the land, a terrible problem, and we cannot solve it. The power of the state, the power of the world's wisdom, and the power of the world's deepest sympathy seem to make no more impression on it than the king's advice and the king's sympathy made upon the sickness of his beloved general. But there is still balm in Gilead. Jeremiah 8, verse 22. The problem is not as hopeless as we think, and the distress is not as dreadful, for there is one voice rising sharp and clear above the clanging voices of a thousand counselors who are darkening counsel by words without knowledge. Job 38, verse 2. And this is the voice, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Acts 16, verse 31. It is a message straight from Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. So Naaman came with his horses. They were not lepers, but he brought them, and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. Now, Elisha, here is your test. You were never in such a perilous place before after all that has been said about Israel and Israel's God. How people criticize the gospel. Will they eventually open their eyes? Will they at last cease from criticizing? Will they cease from wanting to pull themselves up on their own? Will they cease from striving and planning and trying? And will they accept the gospel as helpless lepers as they should do? As God is my witness, I do believe that if you have not been washed in the blood of Christ, Naaman's loathsomeness is only a poor picture of your condition in the sight of God. No, Elisha was not being tested, nor was God. But Naaman was on trial, and he did not come through it very well at first. Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away. And you remember what he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. 2 Kings 5, verses 10 through 11. To me. Yes, I am a leper, but I am not an ordinary leper. I am a general, a prince. I am here with these jingling horses and chariots. Will he deal with me in this way? Have you never experienced this rage? Is it not in your veins at this moment? After all, 
The worst kind of a gospel hearer is that one who comes and goes and comes and goes, and you never find him either sad or glad or mad. Never. There they are like a dish without fall or flood, like the Mediterranean without ebb or flow. But at the one fallless and floodless contemptible level, I like to see people mad in a certain way when a man like Naaman is being led along a line like this when he is taken so far away out of his own sphere or so far off the beaten track, so completely away from what he expects, when the Lord's message through Elisha falls upon him at an angle of incident so unexpected, I can quite understand him. I cannot suppose that the Lord was angry, and I do not suppose that Elisha was angry. They completely understood it. They knew exactly what the effect would be. When people are awakened from a deep sleep, and awakened in a hurry because there is something urgent and imminent, they often wake up annoyed and irritable. They even wake up angry. I suppose that if I came to you tomorrow morning with all your friendliness, and sweetness and gentleness, and seized you by the hand, put my hand on your shoulder, and shook you rudely, and woke you up. When you arose, you would not have all your polite letter-writer phrases just ready at the time. You would likely be a little irritated, and you would likely think that I was very inconsiderate. But if, in the midst of all your annoyance and anger, I showed you that I had a just cause for what I had done, and that there was a fire, and that the fire was not in the next street, or even in the next house, but was in your own house, I think when you realized that, you would thank me, and you would say that if I had been polite, and had awakened you gently and calmly, I would not have been your friend. So it is with the gospel preachers, and so it was with Elisha. Poor Naaman was far gone, and what he needed was quick medicine. He needed something that went straight to the point. I admit that there was seeming rudeness in the wording. I agree that there was superiority, for when God speaks, you must allow him to be superior and imperial. Never forget that. But in it all, and through it all, the gospel is a command, and you disobey it at the risk of eternal damnation. Believe, repent, go work, and go as quickly as you can. That is the gospel. It is a command, and it is in your interest, sinner, that the gospel is on the surface seemingly rude and inconsiderate and unjust. The Leprosy of Pride Naaman was angry and said, I thought. That is what is wrong with most of us. Why are you not a happy Christian? I will tell you in a word. You are troubled with the same disease that Naaman had. Leprosy was his trouble outwardly, and the leprosy of pride was his trouble inwardly. He needed to be humbled before he could be healed. Your pride is very likely intellectual pride, intellectual vanity, intellectual conceit, you juggle with the names of Huxley and Spencer and Darwin, and you want to impress and overawe the poor preacher with the sense of your opinion. You say, when I go to hear a sermon, I think, and I wish, and I like. And when you do not get what you like, the preacher gets your most disagreeable verdict. Now, my dear friend, 
Come away from that, if you will. You are a poor, helpless, hopeless, condemned sinner. Until you receive the gospel in childlike simplicity, you cannot be saved. You are neither fit to live nor fit to die, and you have to do both. So come down off your horse of pride and cleverness and pretentiousness and self-conceit. Forget your wisdom and forget your knowledge and remember that in all past ages and even in this century, thanks to God, wise and educated men who have forgotten more about literature and science and philosophy than you ever learned have with all their knowledge labored to be as simple, genuine, evangelical believers in the blood of the Lamb as any who ever lived. You thought. Thank you for nothing. What did you think? Let us hear it. Well, here it is. I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Second Kings 5 verse 11. That is, I thought that he was a magician and an enchanter, and that he would come and say, Hey, presto, pass, and the thing would be done. Is not that about the length and breadth and depth and height, my friend, of your idea of what genuine religion is? The thoughts of people in Naaman's condition are worth little. Naaman spoke out his thought, and there it is. When salvation comes to us, it comes when we get rid of our own thought, or we hold in our own thought, whatever it may be, and we choke it down, and we allow God to speak. God's thoughts are what we need to know, and God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. Be silent, be still, and know that God is here, that God is speaking, that you should bow your head, keep silent, and believe. Are not Abana and Fapar rivers of Damascus better? Second Kings 5, verse 12. Oh, yes. With what contempt people sometimes speak of the gospel until they have tried it. The Old Gospel Naaman, dear, if Abana and Farpar were waters that would have cleansed you, why did you not go to them? Why did you come here at all? Have not some of us spoken in the same rude and contemptuous way about what we call old, narrow-minded, bigoted, puritanical doctrines until we tried them. But when the day came when our sins were clinging to us, the sorrows of death compassed us, and the gates of hell got hold upon us, and we found trouble and sorrow, then we changed our tune. When we were content and well, we could speak contemptuously about the old gospel and call this salvation by blood a doctrine of the slaughterhouse. However, when we stand naked and shivering and ready to perish, then this old gospel of the cross, the gospel of salvation through the doing and dying of another, is to us like the sound of heaven's own music. Do not talk against the gospel, my friend. You are only showing your lack of heart 
or the depth of your ignorance. Scripture. And his servants came near and spake unto him, and said, If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he said to thee, Wash, and be clean? Then he went down, and dipped himself seven times in Jordan. 2 Kings 5, verses 13 through 14. The man of God had told Naaman, Go, and wash in Jordan seven times. Naaman had to humble himself to obey the gospel, and you and I must do the same. We do not give up intellectuality and the powers of the mind. We simply crucify their pride. That is all. Blessing comes by obedience. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 2 Kings 5, verse 14. This is the gospel. Will you try it? Will you do, my friend, what you never did before? Will you humble yourself simply to believe? The gospel will never prove its power in anybody as long as the person criticizes and questions. The gospel is for believing. The gospel is for receiving. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. At last, Naaman is a sadder and a wiser man. He is spoken to kindly by his servant. Naaman had his good points about him, but after those good points, there was the leprosy. There was no arguing against that. There was this sentence of death eating into him. It is the same with you. While you are criticizing, you are dying. Hell opens its mouth to receive you while you are criticizing and wanting another gospel to satisfy you. Do not forget that. It is not for beggars to be choosers, and you are an absolute beggar at heaven's gate. You are completely dependent upon God's abundance and generosity, and when it is offered to you, it is not right for you to take the sneering or angry tone that you do. Let us cease from all such superfluity of naughtiness, James 1, verse 21, and in simplicity, like the poor dying lepers that we are, let us receive salvation through Jesus Christ, through His atonement. That dark, muddy Jordan was not a nice stream. It was really a very poor river from an artistic point of view. But it was in Israel. It was an Israelitish river, and away to it Naaman must go, even though he was a great man. So he went. He swallowed down his pride. He very likely said to himself, Well, that servant of mine is true. He's right. I am a leper. And, of course, I am dying. I may as well try it. It would be a pity to come all this distance, with all these clanging horses and chariots, and go home and admit that I had come on a fool's errand. Maybe there is something in it after all. So he went down. He stooped to conquer, and he conquered by stooping. He gave in to God, and he won. For a time he seemed to be no better, only much wetter. But dipping seven times, when he came up the seventh time, he left his leprosy in the last plunge. The flesh came to him as with that leper in the New Testament to whom Christ said, be thou clean, and immediately he was made whole. Matthew 8, verse 3. 
As the poet says, he took a little water in his hand, and laid it on his brow, and said, Be clean. And lo, the scales fell from him in his blood, coursed with delicious coolness through his veins, and his dry palms grew moist, and on his brow the dewy softness of an infant's stole. His leprosy was cleansed, and he fell down, prostrate at Jesus' feet, and worshipped him. This is the gospel for lepers, Old Testament and New. Come near to the cleansing fountain, and in absolute humble simplicity plunge into it. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I have read a book or two. I hope I know a little about philosophy. I trust I know a little about science. I went for eight winters to a college and a divinity hall, and I was lectured and taught by the most cultured and eminent men of the day. But if tomorrow I am upon my deathbed, and if you want to come and give me a parting word, come, and I will tell you before you come what you may say. Do not mention this current century. Do not mention these new gospels, which are no gospels. If you have no word, and if you have no text, that old hymn that I have just quoted will do, and especially that verse that I am going to quote now. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Ah, my child, you may despise this old gospel, but your mother died rejoicing in it. So did your father. If you are ever to see them and meet with them, if you are ever to sit down with the truly refined people, you must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. May the Lord, the Spirit, graciously plead his own cause, and may all of us come to the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again for our justification.